welcome into the local angle. I'm Brian Barrett from Off the Pike, and we are just one week away, or a little over a week away, from the Patriots kicking off their season. So it's rare at this time of the year that there's a storyline in Boston that can take away from the Patriots. And amazingly, it happened. And that story has been Mookie Betts over the last week or so. So he took over Fenway Park, as we all saw last weekend. Seven hits in three games. He was incredible, making plays in right field, at second base, all in the same game on Sunday. And with Mookie out of sight, out of mind for so long, you kind of forgot how great he was, right? And you forget what it's like to watch him on an everyday basis. And now he's in year four with the Dodgers. So it had been so long since Red Sox fans have watched him for three consecutive games. Like every once in a while, you may tune into a Dodgers game. But to see him play three consecutive days, we haven't had that experience in a while. And I remember when this first went down, the Mookie trade originally, I tried to convince myself it's going to be okay because you didn't want to believe that Mookie Betts was leaving the team, and you also wanted to convince yourself, like, oh, it's the Red Sox, they'll be okay. But as it turns out, they're not okay. And you're just reminded how talented this guy is. You're also reminded how funny is to watch. How many guys can do what he does? He's one of the best hitters in the sport. He can switch between second base and the outfield. Heck, he could play shortstop if he needed him to. He runs the bases well. He hits for power. He hits for average. He chases down balls all over the place. It's just an incredible guy to watch play. And after experimenting this again over the weekend in a different uniform, you're just left feeling like this should have never ended with the Red Sox. How do you let one of the best players in the game leave in his prime? It's not like he was 34 or 35, right? And you just think about some of the great athletes that have come through Boston recently. Here in Boston, we've been spoiled. You had Brady for 20 years. You had Pierce for 15. Patrice Bergeron, who just retired for 19. David Krejci, who just retired for 16 years. David Ortiz for 14 years. Mookie played just five years, and that's it, right? I mean, really, he played five years, and then he played 52 games in his rookie season. So really, (laughs) Mookie was barely here. 15 years less than Brady, right? 10 years left than Pierce, 14 less than Bergeron. Look at Jason Tatum. He's entering year seven with the Celtics. We've had more time with Jason Tatum than we had with Mookie Betts, and Tatum is only 25. It's just crazy to think about how little time we had with one of the best players in the sport. And you can't help but feel cheated. Like, we should be watching this guy right now. He's a magical player. There are not many baseball players that you stop and watch, right? It's not like NBA players. There's not many of them, or NFL players. And Mookie Betts is one of those guys, and he's a player that is now gone, and we should have been doing this for more than a decade, way more than a decade, and it just stings watching him play in a different uniform over the weekend, knowing he should be playing here. So one of the things I went back to over the weekend is the comments that Heim Bloom made when the Sox signed Rafael Devers this offseason. And essentially why he was saying they could afford to sign Rafi at the time, but not Mookie Betts. So this is at the winter weekend where Heimblum was actually boomed, uh, booed rather by the Red Sox fans. He said, at the same time three years ago, everybody knows it, we were faced with a similar choice. One year away from free agency with a superstar player, and we didn't sign him, and I want to explain why. It relates to where we're going. We didn't sign them, and we make those bets. They're big bets. And those bets, they stay here with me. Those bets, 
You don't know it. You guys are smart, but those bets are much better up front than on the back end. If you want to make that type of bet, you better be ready to back it up. You better be ready to back it up. You better be ready to surround that bet with a lot of young talent, a lot of young talent, or you're not going to win. You see it all the time in the game. I don't think anyone would disagree that we weren't ready to back up that bet. Okay, so this is where I look at this, and I understand like Bloom's whole point here is you can't pay one guy that contract worth north of $300 million unless your foundation is strong, right? You're not going to have a bunch of guys in your team that are making north of $300 million because basically what he's saying is if you're paying, in this case, Rafi, the rest of the organization has to be strong. So his idea is that your farm system has to be in a good spot so you have cheap major league players eventually going along with Rafael Devers. So the Jaron Durants of the world, the Tristan Casas of the world that are up with the Red Sox right now. And Heim's point that is, and the Brian Bayos, and Heim's point here is, as an organization, when Mookie was entering the final year of his contract, the Red Sox weren't ready to give that type of contract out. And so I understand Heim's overall point that it does make sense in terms of the logic. I just disagree when it comes to the specific player Mookie bets because I would argue that having Mookie takes care of a lot of your problems. So if you have Mookie on a long-term deal, it actually helps you, right? You have a guarantee moving forward. So with Mookie, for the first six to seven to eight years of that contract, okay, and I think Mookie's going to age well now based on the guy keeps himself in outstanding shape. But you're going to have a top five player in the sport. You have your leadoff hitter and you have a great defensive player that can play multiple positions for the next decade or so. So I would actually argue that signing Mookie to a long-term deal, it actually makes your life easier as an organization because you are penciling in, I don't know, one of the best players in the sport for the foreseeable future. The contract that they ultimately gave out, and look, I wanted them to keep Rafi long-term. Now, they should have done it sooner rather than later because they could have given him less money if they did it years before he was entering the final year of his contract. But nonetheless, I wanted Rafi here. But Rafi's contract, Rafael Devers' contract, way more of a risk than Mookie Betts is. We're already seeing it this season with the Red Sox. We t- we've talked about this on my pod a bunch of times. He has the third most errors in Major League Baseball does Rafael Devers. So we're one year into Rafi's contract, and we're already wondering, hey, this guy that you gave north of $300 million to, can he play third base long term? It's way more of a risk. You may have to make this choice. Either, hey, the guy we're paying $300 million to, he's going to be the DH, or we're going to have a liability at third base for the length of the contract, right? With the amount of bad defenders this team already has, it's a way more risky contract. The Red Sox, by the numbers, are one of the worst defensive teams in the sport. In fact, if you look at baseball savants metric, outs above average, they're by far the worst. So if you look at the two players, Mookie is a tremendous athlete. He's in outstanding shape. Rafi is not that type of guy. He's a slugger, not exactly the most fit guy in the world. So you do wonder about how he ages. With Mookie... You're not going to worry about that in terms of the wear and tear because he keeps himself in great shape. And this is me saying, I love Rafael Devers. I want Devers to be a Red Sox going forward. But I'm just having the argument, thinking out loud, as Bloom gave this quote over the winter, and then we saw Mookie this past weekend. So where I disagree with Bloom is he says they basically couldn't give that contract prior to 2020, and they could give it out now. In principle, you understand the argument, but in practice, it doesn't make sense when you see the guy that you could have signed in 2020 was Mookie compared to Rafael Devers this past offseason. And what Mookie 
would have stopped you from doing, it really doesn't make sense, right? There wasn't a lot of, like, what move did you make that you wouldn't have made now that Mookie Betts is here, right? That's where I just don't understand it. Like, what did this prohibit you from doing? I don't understand the logic when it comes to that from Bloom in terms of the explanation. I understand, like, what his point is. It's just, when you factor in the player, it doesn't really make sense. It just doesn't really register. And let's just think about it from this perspective. What did not having Mookie do to this organization? Okay, well, let's take a look at the outfield defense. And look, granted, Verdugo's had a really good season in the field. Yoshida's bad out there. And if you look at the Red Sox outfield defense over the past two seasons, it's been a problem. They're at minus 24 defensive runs saved in the outfield over the past two seasons. That's 24th in Major League Baseball. Mookie Betts has 31 defensive runs saved in the outfield during... Since he joined the Dodgers, okay? That's the third most in the entire sport. And remember, he's played a ton of second this season, so that number would be even higher. So one of your big problems over the past two seasons has been outfield defense. Only six teams have been worse than the Red Sox in terms of their outfield defense over the past two seasons. You had a top three outfielder in the game. He helps you with those issues. He has two gold gloves since he went to LA, okay? So he would have fixed a problem that you now have because Mookie's not here, Okay. Another problem the Red Sox have had since Mookie left is the leadoff spot. So if you look at Red Sox hitters in the leadoff spot since Mookie left prior to 2020, or I should say since he was traded, Red Sox hitters have hit 253, that's 19th, 321 on base percentage, that's 23rd, 414 slug, that's 15th, a 735 OPS, that's 17th, and a strikeout rate of 21.2%, which is 22nd, and 54 home runs, which is 21st. Okay, so not good. If you look at Mookie, since he left, he has 1,889 plate appearances in the leadoff spot. That's the most in all of baseball during that spot. So he's basically the most consistent leadoff hitter. Of leadoff hitters with at least 500 plate appearances since 2020, Mookie is 10th in average at 286. He's 7th in on-base percentage at 372. He's 1st in slugging percentage at 553. He's 1st in OPS at 925. And he has 104 home runs. First among leadoff hitters by 32, his strikeout rate is 15.6%, which is 10. So literally, since Mookie Betts left the Red Sox, he is the best leadoff hitter in Major League Baseball. He was when he was here as well. And your leadoff hitters have been bottom third in most statistical categories. So your outfield defense ranks 24th over the past two seasons. And your leadoff hitters have been in the lower third in Major League Baseball since Mookie left. So this idea that you couldn't build with them I don't understand how that's even a thing by giving him that $300 million contract. In fact, it actually hurts you. And if you look at Mookie, he's at 7.3 wins above replacement this year via fan graphs. That's first in Major League Baseball among position players, second overall behind Otani. So he is literally the second most valuable player in all of Major League Baseball. The Red Sox as a team in the outfield are 8.4 wins above replacement. Mookie's at 7.3 himself, 87% of the Red Sox outfielders' total war. So there's no argument that you could make that paying Mookie bets would have hurt the future of the organization and that you couldn't sustain having that type of contract. If anything, it made you worse and it opened up more holes like the leadoff spot and like outfield defense and most importantly, you rob the fan base of watching greatness. All right, coming up next, you'll hear from my buddy John Jastrzemski from New York, New York, Jason Goff from the Full Go in Chicago, and the guys from the Philly Special.
This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Welcome to the Ringer's Philly special, and to those of you watching the local angle on FanDuel TV, Shiel Kapadia here, joined by Ben Solak. A lot to get to today. The Eagles trim their roster to 53 players. They make a trade. We're going to talk about all of that. And then, of course, we're talking Eagles defense preview. This is going to be a yes, supersized sir. episode. Benny Souls, how you doing? You got a 53-man roster in front of you? You ready to go? I do. I feel I feel ready to go, though, of course, as every general manager says immediately afterwards, well, this might not be our actual 53. It's probably going to look a little different. We're still going to work the wires, work the trades like and yeah, you got to. Um, but pretty cut and dry. I thought 53 men cut down for the Eagles. I don't think there were one or two decent surprises. But other than that, nothing tectonic. Yeah, I think especially for, you know, your, your point, how GMs always say that that feels especially true for the Eagles. Like, I think they are going to be pretty active, yeah. uh, you know, in the days following when this podcast posts and we'll get to some of those positions. Let's get to the trade first because trades are fun. Eagles trade for a tight end. They give up their uh, sixth round pick for Broncos tight end Albert Okwebenum and a seventh round pick in 2025. Uh, Okwebenum, 6'5", 258, ran a 4.49 coming out of college. 10 catches for 95 yards last year, uh, was originally a fourth-round pick towards ACL in 2020. 2021, he has 33 catches for 330 yards. You seem to, I mean, you're excited generally about every Eagle straight, I feel like, but this one, I feel like the football hipsters have, have long liked a little uh, Alberto, yeah. and so uh, I feel like you were probably kind of excited about this trade. What do you think? Well, Okwebenon was just an example of a player who, lands in Denver, their coaching staff changes, there's offensive staff changes, uh, new front office goes and drafts their own guy at tight end, he just becomes the odd man out, like he was just not used by Nathaniel Hackett at all last season, uh, and when he would get out there, would have like good moments, like when the Broncos played in week 17 last season, and they kind of were putting out, putting out some young guys and just, you know, seeing who could do what, he had like seven catches for 100 yards and a touchdown, right? Like, and like, it, it's not meaningless football, but it's 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 lower stakes football. Regardless, like he he's he has more talent than the average tight end three, tight end four on an NFL team does, right? Like he was always just a little bit like 
stuck in a back corner somewhere because the coach staff that he was with didn't want to use him and didn't know how to use him. Uh, so at trade deadline time last year, there were rumors that the Broncos, the Nate Hackett, George Payton Broncos, were going to move on from Okwebenam. And I tweeted out, like, this is just such a clear, like, late-round flyer for the Eagles. You know, challenge Grant Calcaterra, challenge Jack Stoll. Like, right now, they're kind of just trying dudes out behind Dallas Goddard. Like, this is an obvious move. And then they didn't make it, and then they made it this year. So never wrong, just early on Al- Albert Okwebenam. I was going to say, Obenom. go ahead yeah. and flex on your Albert O trade projection he, from yeah. November or whenever it was. He's, uh, he's, he's got... Better movement skills, better athleticism for his size than both Stoll and Calcaterra do. He's not nearly the blocker that Stoll is. Uh, you're going to worry about him being a liability in the run game if he's legitimately out there above Stoll. But in terms of like creating explosive plays in the passing game, he has that ability at tight end. So that's why you bring him in. You see, okay, if we can get this blocking up to a kind of functional level, then this is a guy that we want to have on the field. Because with the ball in his hands or downfield, he, he's a lot more as a receiver than a Calcaterra is or a Stoll is. Yeah, this is a no-stakes trade. I mean, you're swapping yeah. a sixth for a seventh in 2025, so I'm all for it. Like you mentioned, he's at, he's big, he's athletic, 6'5", ran four four nine, has had some production, not Healthy. a lot, but is, tw- is 25 years old. Uh, not going to be a blocker for you. This is a an, an addition uh, of additional pass catcher here, uh, a depth tight end. So we'll see. I, you know, I, I will keep my expectations in check when I go, all right, Sean Payton did, didn't think he could use uh, this guy, that would make me a little bit nervous looking at some of the lack of talent there with their pass catchers. But like you mentioned, not every player is for every scheme. It's not like great coaches uh, miss on players. So we'll see what he brings to the Eagles. All right, let's get to the cuts. Quarterback, Jalen Hurts, Marcus Mariota, Tanner McKee. Yon. No surprises there. Yon, yep. running back, Kenny Gainwell, DeAndre Swift, Rashad Penny, Boston Scott. Are we ever going to be able to do a mailbag ever again without having any Trey Sermon questions. What do you think? Well, so Trey Sermon was not cut by the Eagles. He was waived with an injury designation. He got hurt in the last preseason game, which will allow the Trey Sermon truthers to claim that he would have made the team if not for the last the injury in the last preseason game. Doesn't matter why he played the entire last preseason game. All that matters is he got hurt, and that's why he didn't make the roster. Um, you know, they'll try to bring him back. I wouldn't be surprised if another team scoops him up. Like he obviously like he was a third round pick. He has talent. He had a really good preseason. Uh, the Eagles are perfectly fine at running back. They have unbelievable depth. This is not a surprise. Yes. That one is mostly a yawn. Now an interesting one. Wide receiver, AJ Brown, Devante Smith, Quez Watkins, and Olamide Zacchaeus. Four, just four wide receivers. No Britton Covey. No Devin Allen, no Joseph Ngata, no Greg Ward. Am I missing anybody? There were Jayden a lot of Hazelwood. wide receivers. No Jaden Hazelwood. So they keep four wide receivers. The big question, and this is something we discussed previously, I think you were like, hey, Covey's a lock. And I was like, I don't think Covey's a lock. And you're like, who's returning? And I'm like, all right, you're probably right. Covey's going to make the team. And then Covey didn't make the There's team. Turns out he made the team. <laughs> so uh, we know those four were going to make the team. Do you think they add another wide receiver between now and week one? Do you think they're comfortable with any? I know the answer to this question that I'm asking because I've seen your Twitter timeline. Uh, who is returning for uh, for this team? Is it a certain running back that you're having visions of being the same returner he was? In college, how do you uh, were, were you surprised by this, or what's your take on the wide receivers and specifically the returner situation? Yeah, so firstly, right now the Eagles are at four running backs, four wide receivers, and four tight ends on the 53 men roster. That's not typically the way you build it. Um, and I don't, I mean, like they could probably get away with being four receivers, like they could. They, 
I don't know if they necessarily want to live in that world, right? You're one in-game injury away from only having three guys to play and never being able to do anything more than 11 personnel. Like, that feels real sketchy to me. Uh, so I feel like they're going to have to do something at wide receiver on the on the 53, even if it's game day activate Britton Covey, game day activate Devon Allen to be your return guy and just be your fifth body there. In general, like, four, four active receivers feels a little sketchy. Uh, in regards to returner, like, Covey was... Solid. I don't think he was a, a a problem for them. I don't think he like he had he had some good metrics. I think he was probably a little bit worse than the metrics implied, but in general he was like a fine returner. Yes, Rashad Penny set a record for kickoff return touchdowns at the collegiate <laughs> level. Yes, I went back and I rewatched some of them and I was like, man, I forgot just how fast and big this man is. I don't think they're going to I mean they could like I where's Penny on the running back depth chart? <laughs> if he's running back four then you have to consider using him on teams, right? If you're going to carry four running backs, the fourth running back has got to play on teams. Um, so him, Boston Scott, I think they'll consider any of the corners, right? You, you, you're, you're, a lot of your guys who play corner have some returning ability at some point in their career. Um, there's not, there's, none of those guys have been used at it in the, in the college ranks, but you can try it out. Alameda Zacchaeus returned, I want to say, at Virginia. I know he did like a few punt returns with the Falcons. So you have options. Um, none of them feel great. And I imagine the Eagles are want to be in a spot where they get one of Covey or Allen back on the practice squad, and then they start activating them as the fifth receiver on game day. That'd be my guess right now. But I imagine they'll try out a bunch of stuff. I have no idea what Rashad Penny's role is going to be on this football team. He it's could very, have 15 it's carries very, in week one. He could have one carry in week one. He could be on special teams. He could be not even dressed on game day. I have no idea. That's one we just have to wait until the game's uh start there i sort of yeah i i think they will definitely be scouring the other teams uh players who were released and seeing if there's somebody who they like more than those players you mentioned and add them uh as their fifth wide receiver the Bengals released the uh earlier this week trent taylor who's a, a long time like uh backup receiver for them and a punt returner and he's a he's a fairly solid punt returner uh he would not surprise me as a signing there was another name i saw yesterday frick who was it i can't remember anyway Watch out for the Trent It'll Taylor hype. Yeah, yeah, Tight ends, as you mentioned, four tight ends on the roster. Dallas Goddard, Jack Stoll, Grant Calcaterra, Albert Okwebenum. So that was a little bit surprising for tight ends. I don't, but they traded for a tight end. So I didn't think they were going to keep any of the other tight ends that were on the roster. Uh, it feels like these four are going to stick. I don't think they're, they're giving up on... Uh, on any of these guys, right? These will be the, the four tight ends. They, they cut Dan Arnold. They waived Tyree Jackson and Brady Russell uh, this week. So we'll see if any of those guys return on the practice squad. You just acquired Okwebenom, so I think it gives him a little bit of plot armor in the short term. It's not like Grant Calcaterra has like, I, I don't think, I think if you have to cut Grant Calcaterra to make numbers work and see if you can bring him back in the practice squad, I don't think you're like terrified. I, I, I don't think it's a huge drop, but I, I, I certainly think they don't want to, right? They kept on the active 53. They played him last year. Like he's, he's a player that has utility to them. But yeah, um, I don't, it does, four wide receivers and four tight ends, I want to like preempt this, does not imply some sort of like new dedication to 12 personnel. No, I no, just think no. this is where no, they no, ended no, up no, with no, their 53. No. Yeah. But it, it is a little 100%. bit funky right now to have these, these sets of numbers and they're going to have to do something about it. I agree. Yes. Thank you for getting uh, ahead of that. I don't think it means anything about any of the personnel yeah. that they're going to be playing. All right. Offensive line, Jordan Mailata, Landon Dickerson, Jason Kelsey, Cam Jurgens, Lane Johnson, Tyler Steen, Jack Driscoll, 
Fred Johnson and Sua Opeta. So Fred Johnson uh, got the like a contract extension before the last preseason game. And then I think Sua Opeta was the guy where is he going to make it or not? You know, Josh Sills they had brought back. Is he going to make it? So Josh Sills doesn't make it. And Sua Opeta makes it for now as the ninth uh, yep. offensive lineman and one of their depth pieces on the interior. How, how long has Sua Opeta been an Eagle? You know this? 17 years. Close. A little bit, little bit too low. <laughs> it's in the 20s. Um, Sua Opeta, undrafted free agent, signed out of Weber State in 2019. And just since then, waived, signed to the practice squad, signed to the active roster, waived, signed to the practice squad, signed to the active, signed to the practice squad, signed to the active, waived, signed to the practice squad, signed to the active, waived, signed to the practice squad, signed a reserve future contract, and now he's signed to the active 53. Incredible run for Sua Opeta. Just every single Eagles offensive lineman that they have, I can walk you through exactly why they have them right like even down to like oh like fred johnson like you know they love developing tackles and he's got measurables and he's had a nice improvement and then whenever i get to suo pet i'm like and he's they're still just doing the suo petta thing i don't know he's a pretty unremarkable backup guard and doesn't do any of the other positions and just hangs out as the ninth man suo petta baby they love him i don't know uh i i didn't do an official 53 man prediction if i had i probably would have not had Suo Peta on it, but that would have just been tempting fake. Suo Peta is going to be an eagle every year until we die. There. All right. So that's the, uh, that's the offensive roster. We'll take a break now. Thanks to everyone list- watching The Local Angle on FanDuel TV. Remember, you can listen to Philly Special on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. To those of you listening, we'll be right back and we'll talk about the defensive side of the roster. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things but at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Welcome into the local angle. Shout out to all the people on FanDuel TV. I'm Jason Goff from the Full Go Podcast. You can catch us Sundays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, right here on the Ringer. Of course, Spotify is the gang enough. And yeah, we do emergency pods too when breaking news is happening. And it seems like we will be doing an emergency pod around the corner because the White Sox have found reportedly their new head man in charge, the new baseball architect who is a part of the current regime in Chris Getz. And it's something we talked about on the Full Go podcast. And I want to say this. <clears throat> I want to start off with 
Hey, hey, how y'all doing? Fresh back from LA, you know, witnessing uh, baseball fans out there getting ready to cheer on their Dodgers for whatever postseason run Mookie Betts and the boys have in store. And of course, the Angels, they've got all that White Sox residue on them, huh? You know, Lucas Giolito went out there for a few starts, got rocked around. Reynaldo Lopez gets waved. Like the White Sox stench is, is carrying across baseball. And I want to start at a very, very uncomfortable point. And that is the conversation that is going on around the White Sox and the future of the White Sox. And White Sox fans have turned into Blackhawks fans. And you might ask yourself, Jay, what are you talking about? And if you're not familiar, Blackhawks fans for years and years in this town were thought of as, you know, the others, right? The the, the fifth most popular team. And there was an owner, Bill Wirtz, who... His son, Rocky Words, just passed away not too long ago, close friend of Jerry Reinsdorf. But <clears throat> Bill Words, for all my time as a Chicago sports fan, was thought of as the guy who was a little bit of a penny pincher, right? Didn't put the home games on TV because he wanted fans to come out to the United Center, <clears throat> threw nickels around like manhole covers, as they say in our uh, in our industry. But <clears throat> when Bill Words was at the end of his life and also his tenure as chairman and owner of the Chicago Blackhawks, it was a sentiment and it was a morbid and unmistakable sentiment of this thing ain't going to change until the old man dies or until he sells the team. Now, it's always uncomfortable to talk about death. It's always uncomfortable to talk about people who are living and how things will change after their death. But here we are, White Sox fans. We have come to that point where it's not even a whisper anymore. It is a loud yell, scream, holler, whatever you want to call it. And the echoes now are reverberating around the internet. Something that started in the fandom has now escaped out into the ecosphere that is Major League Baseball, where White Sox fans are beholden to the fact that things might not change until Jerry Reinsdorf moves on or moves on from the team. And working uh, with the Chicago Bulls, you know, doing the pre and post game show and talking to Michael Reinsdorf. And, you know, it, it's a tough position when you're talking about somebody's father uh, being the owner of a team and fans and fans alike saying that this ain't going to change until the old man goes. The reason why that's being said right now is because of the recent news. I mean, this has been as bad a two weeks for this organization as I can remember. You know, you, you start off with the Kenny Williams, Rick Hahn dismissal. Then all of a sudden the leak story that six years from now, they might be the Nashville White Sox or they might be playing somewhere else. The guaranteed rate field situation has long been a bone of contention, not only with White Sox fans, but with White Sox ownership in terms of the state running the facility, uh, the, the tax breaks and all the other things that come along with it. And just the location. Right. The, the, the way that the place was built or the place that was refurbished when it was Comiskey to new Comiskey now to guaranteed rate field, all the things that go along with the White Sox package, White Sox fans have persevered through. But in these last few years where they went from a 90 win team to all of a sudden an 80 win team to now they will be a 60 win squad. And one of the dregs of baseball, one of the biggest disappointments on the sports calendar, and I'm talking about all sports in this last year and a half or so. And we can even look at anywhere from the starting rotation to now, what, three-fifths of it have been traded or moved on. There's no Lance Lynn here. The Mike Clevenger has been waived. Lucas Gilito just got waived by the Angels 
Angels after being traded by the White Sox. You've sitting here looking at Dylan Cease and Michael Kopech, who have inspired very little confidence in White Sox fans to be an ace and a two going into the future. Tim Anderson, who was thought to be the not only the face of Chicago White Sox, but one of the faces of baseball, has had a tumultuous, uh, shall we say, year and a half. And then you look at the guys who can't play 100 games, whether it be Yasmani Grandal, who's going to be at the end of his contract, Eloy Jimenez, who's got all the power and all the personality in the world, but he can only get 85 to 90 games of it. And Luis Robert, who, as we're taping this, just hit his 35th home run today, the 14th in White Sox history to hit 35 or more home runs. So there's a star coming into his own. The rest of the franchise seemingly is in shambles. And when the firing happened, everybody on the White Sox side of things, fans and ownership and all the people thought, okay, this might be a new, uh, this might be a new start. No, 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 no. Jerry Reinsdorf said, Hey, Tony La Russa, come on through, come on back and, and consult and give us your thoughts. And what did Tony La Russa do? Well, Tony La Russa picked one of his favorites, seemingly, if the reports are true. Chris Getz, you know, we all know that Tony La Russa and Rick Hahn weren't on the same page. Rick Hahn reportedly did not want to hire Tony La Russa. Jerry Reinsdorf thought he would do a, uh, a, you know, a solid for his buddy, his longtime guy, a guy who he fired in the 80s and never really truly got over it, a long-term friendship that seemingly uh, lasts way longer than baseball people would think you know we've heard brian kenny break this down we've heard everybody on the mlb network break this down and shake their heads when the decision was made so now we sit here three years later and we're talking about a search a hiring search that did not go as far as the doors and the walls of your organization You've got all these assistant general managers out here that are running around, whether it be the Tampa Bay Rays, the Minnesota Twins. Um, there's, there's a couple of guys with the A's that people are talking about. Like, there's so many people. You got the young lady with the Marlins. Like, there's so many people that you have to do your due diligence with in terms of interviewing, vetting, asking questions around Major League Baseball. And when we heard, the statement, or when we read the statement as White Sox fans that the search would be done before the end of the regular season, we all shook our head and said, hey, this is going to be another White Sox debacle. And it seemingly is turning into that. Now, is Chris Getz the next person, the next orchestrator of World Series and sustainable success and glory? I can't tell you that. Is Chris Getz and Dayton Moore the father-son type of relationship that they had while he was in the Kansas City Royals organization going to um, is it going to preclude winning? Is it is it going to supplant and and <clears throat> replace all of the doubt and all of the naysayers that are inside and outside of this White Sox thing? Who knows? All I know is the optics are horrible. Chris Getz is now going to be the leader of a situation where we're going to question how much power he has. And so the hamster wheel continues to spin because we talked about this when Rick Hahn got the gig and Kenny Williams was lording over him. And Kenny Williams been with the organization from, since 1992. You mean to tell me a guy in Tony La Russa who's still around, Jerry Reinsdorf, since the 80s doesn't have the same kind of sway? You mean to tell me a guy like Chris Getz who's been waiting for his chance, similar to what Rick Hahn was waiting for doesn't doesn't come off as the uh, a similar situation as we just just broke up like all i know is 2020 was supposed to be the year the white Sox fans got the payoff for watching mediocre to poor baseball for half a decade 
Now we find ourselves two postseason victories, not playoff series, but two postseason victories later, a rebuild, a tarnished image, people getting shot in the stands, you know, like everything that you could possibly think of over the last two weeks in the last two years that could go wrong for a major league baseball franchise has gone wrong on the South side. And now Sox fans are left to ask themselves, when is this thing going to change? And that's why the morbid conversation continues. That's why it will continue until this team is sold or Jerry Reinsdorf moves on. And like I said, you hate to talk about things in that nature, but that is the, that's the scuttlebutt with White Sox fans right now that this won't change the apathy that is set in with the fan base. Uh, fans are talking about moving on from this team and not rooting for them anymore. And we all know that's easier said than done, but you harken back to those Bill Ward's Blackhawks days when there was only three to 5,000 in the United Center slash Chicago Stadium before the Stanley Cup glory, before Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane and, and the likes, and before John McDonough came with his marketing rents to make sure that thing looked the way it's supposed to look. And then before the scandal, right, before all those things happened to the Blackhawks, the Blackhawks were an also ram. They were thought of as just one of the tenants here in the city. They had their hardcore group of fans and they rocked with them until it was time to win. And they took the ride with all the freeloaders and bandwagon jumpers. White Sox fans can only hope to be so lucky that Chris Getz can land a number one pick or the next Patrick Kane of baseball or the next Jonathan Taves of baseball will find themselves on the South side. But for the time being, it looks like business as usual and business as usual is just setting in to be bad business when it comes to being a White Sox fan. So as we roll on, Chris Getz seemingly is going to get this job. The reports from Danny Parkins of the Parkinson Spiegel Show on 670 The Score. Uh, as we are taping this here on a Wednesday, the reports are that Chris Getz is soon to be named. They're not even going to wait till the end of the regular season. So Good job, White Sox, for making sure that all the optics of this thing have been terrible. Good job, White Sox, distancing yourself from your fan base. Good job, White Sox, for making sure that everybody in this city understands that, you know, you can try and try all you want, but the owner runs the team. And until the owner does something different, the fans are just going to have to deal with it. You can catch us every single Sunday, every single Tuesday, and every single Thursday right here on the Full Gold Podcast. We take your phone calls. We take your emails. We have a good time here. And, of course, of course, my production staff, Kyle Williams, Chris Sutton, Tony Gill, and, of course, the uh, the shadowy figure that is Steve Cerruti right along with us. So, hopefully, y'all are having a good time out there. We'll catch you next time right here on The Local Angle. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, Restrictions all apply. 
See website for details. Welcome back to the local angle right here on FanDuel TV. I am John Jastrzemski, the host of New York, New York, and we are yet another week closer to the start of the NFL season, which is an absolute thing of beauty for the folks here in New York City because it gets their mind off of the ludicrous conversation that's been running around town surrounding Pete Alonso and his future with the New York Mets or the delusional New York Yankees front office ownership, Yankee brain trust that believes they are actually doing a top-notch, bang-up, elite-level job, even though the Yankees are double-digit games out of a playoff spot, even though the Yankees have not won an American League pennant since 2009, we're in a position where, yeah, people within the Yankee organization are upset about people like me complaining and bellyaching about the team. I mean, it's like you're living in the bizarro world. It's like they are living in the twilight zone but all of a sudden, somebody like me is the moron, and the fans out there, sh- shame on you. How dare you complain that the New York Yankees, one of the most storied brands in all sports, is now in a position where it's in the business of participation trophies and patting each other on the rear end, saying, we're great, we know what we're doing, how dare you complain about us? That's the reality of the baseball situation here in town, uh, which is one that, quite frankly, I want to escape as soon as possible. And that is even with the New York Yankees announcing that they're calling up two of their top prospects, which, listen, is the right and practical and ideal move to make. Like, it's very, very logical for the Yankees to go and look at Jason Dominguez, who we've heard so much about for forever. Young kid, rising up through the minor leagues, the Martian, the power. Guy's been hyped up since he was like 15 or 16 years old and the Yankees signed him. He's smashing double A. He's hitting great in triple A. Score up the team stinks. Yeah, you should bring him up. And yeah, you should bring Austin Wells, their top catching prospect up, to go and get major league experience over the final month of the year in a whole lot of meaningless games. Like, I'm fully on board with that. But I also think you have to be aware of why these particular players are coming up. This just reeks to me of a little bit of a money grab from the Yankees. Does it not? Yankees going to have a dead ballpark in the month of September. They're out of it in the division. They're out of it in the wild card. The only thing of intrigue and interest from a Yankee perspective is twofold before you get to the kids. One, are they going to have their first losing season since 1992? My money is on yes. Two, is Garrett Cole going to be the first Yankee pitcher since Roger Clemens in 2001 to go and win the American League Cy Young? And once again, my money on that particular question would be yes. You want to give people, though, a reason to go to the ballpark. And I'm sure Hal Steinbrenner, who is very much aware of his Heineken's being sold and his chicken buckets being sold and the concessions, even if the tickets are, quote-unquote, sold for Yankee Stadium, 
that ballpark is going to be a ghost town in September if you don't give him a reason to show up. And maybe Jason Dominguez and Austin Wells are two particular types of players that are going to intrigue Yankee fans to go and watch. I mean, I'll say it from my perspective, it's a little bit more interesting watching the games throughout the course of the week as we're trying to, like, pass the time through football season and whatnot. Yeah, I guess from that standpoint, I'll take it over the month of September. But does it necessarily push me in a direction as a fan where I'm saying, I, I can't wait to go to the ballpark? No. And maybe I'm a spoiled brat, and maybe I'm just not used to the idea of the Yankees being dead and buried for about a month and a half, two months, as far as playoff chances are concerned. I'm not, I'm not used to living in that world. Yeah, I'm spoiled. Yeah, I'm entitled. But there's a difference between that mindset and the reality of the Yankee situation, which is you're the New York Yankees. You're not judged the way the Kansas City Royals are judged. You're not judged the way that, I don't know, the Texas Rangers are judged. You're not judged the same way the New York Mets are judged. With the history, the mystique, everything that comes with being a Yankee and being a part of that organization, you, you it's different. And when you have down years, there should be consequences for that. Unfortunately, now the Yankees went from an organization that haphazardly fired people like crazy, like drunken sailors in the 1980s, and now the Yankees don't fire anybody. So they've done a complete 180 as far as that goes. Like, for what it's worth, should be a little bit of a happy medium. So, yeah, Dominguez, Austin Wells, hooray. I wish the Yankees were playing in a pennant race to try and win the American League East, but that's the reality of the baseball situation in 2023. Now, as we move closer and closer to week one, and I can smell it, and I can taste it, and, oh, baby, I can feel it. The New York Jets and the Buffalo Bills. Monday Night Football, the end of week one, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, everything that comes with the beauty, and that's exactly what it is, the beauty of having a four-time MVP and having a Super Bowl champ and having a future Hall of Famer under center, it has ratcheted up everything from expectations to anticipation to excitement for what the New York Jets are going to be in 2023. The more and more I continue to watch Hard Knocks, and full disclosure, I'm an episode behind. That a valid excuse. I got married last weekend. I think I'm allowed to be an episode behind, though, by the way. And if the, if the uh, ring is looking a little shiny, a little weird, uh, I understand. It's a little weird for me, too. Be that as it may. In watching this season of Hard Knocks, Robert Sala comes across as a very likable dude. I think he relates to players well. I think the players clearly like him. I think they respect him. But that's all well and good. You got to win. And when I look around the NFL and I think about coaches that are under scrutiny, that are under pressure, who would top that list more so than Robert Sala in 2023? I can't find you another coach. Simply put, who comes close. 
You want to tell me Sean McDermott? And there's an argument to be had because the Buffalo Bills have been to the playoffs each of the last, what, three or four years. They regressed in many ways last year, even though they made it to the divisional round. And I think some of the conversation in Buffalo is, well, we, that window is shrinking. We got we to get one with Josh Allen. The Jet conversation is a little bit different. They don't have that sort of playoff resume that Buffalo is running out there. Aaron Rodgers has it. But the rest of the Jet roster, unless you're a part of the the, the cavalcade of Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb, and uh, I guess Dalvin Cook has his fair share of playoff games. But what I'm getting at here is this is a very young team. And this head coach now is under the microscope in a way that he has never been before. His first year didn't go great, but it was a free year. Nobody had any expectations for what the Jets were going to be. What was it, 2021? Rookie season for Zach Wilson coming off the disaster and the disgrace that was the Adam Gaze era. Like, nobody expected anything out of the Jets, and that's exactly what you got. Last year, Jets were a little bit better than the way people thought they were going to play and thought they were going to be. They went won seven games. They were in the playoff race basically until the second to last week of the year. And they were able to do that with one of the worst quarterback situations in the NFL. But it's like plus minus. Yes, they had a terrible quarterback situation. On the flip side, they also had some advantageous scheduling, getting some backup quarterbacks, getting some teams at the right time. So in some ways, that can even out over the course of 17 weeks. That's 2022. Here's what I know for 2023. You could get philosophical and, and talk about Mount Everest. You could talk like Socrates or Aristotle. I, I don't care what you talk like. The action for the Jets better be layoffs at the end of this season. Because if it's not, this coach is not getting a reprieve. That's why there's no coach in the league under more pressure than Robert Sala. Yeah, Sean McDermott, you can make the argument it's got to go and get deep into the playoffs. But, I mean, at least in his exit meeting, no matter what happens, he could say, well, look at the last four years or five years and look at what I've done. Robert Sala is basically pointing to, hey, I won a handful of games my first year and I won seven games in my second year. So if you're sitting there and you're eight and nine, I'm Woody Johnson. Sayonara. I will go get another coach to maybe take one last crack and one last shot at trying to get Aaron Rodgers to the promised land. But that's what's at stake for the Jets. They're rolling with this quarterback. They have a young roster. This coach, you want to be here for a long period of time. Weather the storm in those first six weeks. Buffalo, Dallas, New England, Kansas City, Philadelphia. Think about those games on the Jets schedule. Go look up and down the AFC and the NFC and try to find me an NFL head coach under more pressure than Robert Sala. You find me that coach. With the expectations, with the talent level, and everything that comes with it, you can't find me. We'll be back next week. 
for the early week one look. The local angle. How fun is that? How exciting is that? This is John Shensky for New York, New York. We're coming right back. 